Let's see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good call. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. And welcome back to Under Review. I'm Greg. He's Steve. It is July 28th. Um, we're in the middle of these dog days of uh, summer. Um, we're pretty much wrapped up with most of our restricted free agents now that Uchnevich has been signed to a two-year deal. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit. Lots of questions, lots of cap stuff. Uh, so, Steve, how's it going? Um, doing pretty good. It's, um, it's, it's over. We don't have any arbitration cases, so... Nikolai Zherdev remains the last Ranger to actually go to arbitration back in 2009. I'm happy that they sorted it out with Buchnevich. Um, and this also means the second buyout window opens Monday morning, which is around the same time we will release this podcast. So anything we say in this episode about potential buyout candidates, please, people need to understand we're recording this on Sunday. So we might look like idiots. Oh, we're definitely not like idiots. Um, <laughs> so let's 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 start out. Let's let's be some idiots. Um, buyouts. Are we going to see a buyout on Monday? What do you think? Um, I think because now the buyout window is only forty-eight hours. It puts Gordon in a position where he has to pull the trigger. If he doesn't in forty-eight hours, then trading is his only option to get under the cap. Um. I still think personally that Brandon Smith is the number one candidate for a buyout because his buyout is beneficial in both years, whereas Shattenkirk's buyout is horrible for the second year. We get like we get maybe six million cap relief this season, but then he's on the books for six million next year while not being on the team. And adding to that, you have to replace him with a player, even if it's league minimum which is, I think, 650000 or maybe 700000 even, because it keeps going up. Um, you have basically a defenseman on the team for a 6.6 or 6.7 million cap hit next year. Yeah, mm. the, the question I have is, did you see Brooks's article about how Kevin Shattenkirk, uh, or I should say how Brendan Smith is more valuable in a trade market than Kevin Shattenkirk? Did you see that article? Hey, uh, I, I did skim through it. If that is actually the case, then that's great. Then we can just trade Brendan Smith and don't have to buy out anyone. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I don't think Brendan Smith has any trade value. I'd be shocked if he does. I'm, I, I don't know what it is. I'm more shocked that he has more trade value than Kevin Shack. That, that just is mind-blowing to me. I, I don't understand that. Um, now, granted, I don't know. This, is just, this could just completely be Brooks's point of view. But that that still is very, very strange to me. But in any case, I think if we do see a buyout, it's going to be Brendan Smith. It's not going to be Kevin Shattenkirk. It, it doesn't make sense to buy him out simply because of how much dead cap you're going to have in 2020 and 2021. It just makes no sense to me. Um, one name that kind of would make sense, but I, I don't think we're going to go that route, is maybe a Mark Stahl buyout. Yeah, I don't see that happening at all. Um... If, if the last two years have, have, have proven anything to me, it's that the organization, 
values Mark Stahl more than fans do. Um, they may not value him as a 5.7 million player, but they value him in the locker room, within the organization, one of the leaders of the team. I just don't see him leaving. Um, buying him out would would be would not be the worst thing, but like I said, they if 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 they would have uh, if if they if they wanted to, they would have done it by now. But he's still on the team. There's two years left on his deal. Um, I I don't see it happening. He's 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 wearing a letter, and I know that's not a guarantee because Girardi was wearing one, and blah blah blah. But Mark Stahl is is one of the leaders of the team, even though he's not one of the best players on on the ice anymore. Yeah, I think that's a very very fair point. Um, we can debate all day about what Mark Stahl's value is uh, to the locker room because we don't really know. Um, yeah, and, the- and, and I always compare Mark Stahl to, you know, like an older guy in the office. You know, if, if you work somewhere for a company, you have an office job, there's this older guy that has worked for the company for years, for years and years, and he knows everything about the old systems that are no longer in use, but he knows everything about those. He has no clue how the new systems work, but and, and you know, he doesn't, he doesn't get his work done on time, and He's basically more of a burden than than actually helping the team, but somehow management loves him because he's been around forever. That's that's how I see Mark Stahl. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the the organization values him more off the ice than on the ice, and that's fine. Um, I have I have no issue with that. But we still need to get under the cap, so I think that he is a target at least. Um, whether it's realistic or not, he is a target for a buyout. So I think when we're talking about our buyouts, we're talking about Shattenkirk, Stahl, Smith. Um, I don't know if you consider, uh, you know, somebody like Ryan Strom, uh, a possible buyout candidate. Um, well, Ryan Strom cannot be bought out in the second buyout window because his, uh, his, uh, cap hits too low. Oh, what's his, what's his cap hit? 3.1 million. And for the second buyout window, only players who make 3.45 or 3.5 million or more are eligible. Oh, so he's just shy of that. Okay. So he doesn't even qualify. Okay, so then really we're just looking at we're looking at the three defensemen at this point. It's it, it's Shaddy, Stahl, and Smith. Really, the only buyout candidates that probably would make some sense here. Yeah, um, and if that's the case, I mean, we, we made a case for Mark Stahl. The organization loves him, so he's probably last on the pecking order of a buyout. Um, then I think it's between Smith and Shattenkirk, and I think Smith makes a whole lot more sense than Shattenkirk. Um, or trade him if that's even remotely possible. Um, but I do think – I think when we look at this, my gut feeling says that Brendan Smith will not be on this roster next year, whether that's he gets buried, whether that's he gets bought out, or whether he gets traded. I don't see him on this roster in 2019-2020. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I don't see him playing uh, any games for the Rangers this upcoming season. And honestly, I, I think I think Gordon has, has – uh, has the option to get under the cap without even using a single buyout. Because if you look at the team now, they are over the cap by 4 million with D'Angelo and Lemieux still unsigned. But that includes guys like Bileski and, and Nieves and also Brandon Smith on the roster with seven defensemen, 14 forwards. If you sign Lemieux and D'Angelo, you 
you, you can demote a defenseman and two forwards. If you would demote both Brandon Smith and Matt Bileski, that would give you 2.1 million in cap space, just like that. That's 2.1 million you get back because you can bury 10.05 million max per contract. If you add Nieves to that, that would be 2.8 million. So if Lemieux and D'Angelo sign a contract, like say a one-year contract for 1 million, what we discussed last week, you know, where they, where they bet on, on themselves, come back to RFA next year with arbitration rights. Uh, if they would do that, then you only have to clear 4 million to get under the cap. And that can be done by trading Kreider or Namesnikov. And all of a sudden, you're under the cap without using a single buyout. And you can just, with Shattenkirk, Stahl, and Smith, you can just sing it out until 2021 when all three of them come off the books. Instead of committing to a buyout where they're on the books for four, four more years instead of two more years. Because the buyout is always twice the length of the remainder of the contract. Yeah. And do the Rangers re- really want those numbers on the books in 2021 when they are ready? When I'm, I assume 2021 is when they really want to go for it, when they want to compete, when Kako and Kravtsov have two years under their belts, and Lias and Hilo and Howden have three to four years under their belts. And you know that's probably the uh, the, the timeline where the Rangers want to compete. Do you want? 1.4 million on the books for a Shattenkirk buyout or 1.2 million for a stall buyout. Is that what you really want on the books when you're, when you're contending? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I just, I, I don't think it's, uh, it's, just, it's the best option. I, I think a buyout should be a last resort and I don't think we are there yet. Okay. Then do you? Then do you? Let me ask you this question. Let me pivot to this question. Do you see a trade being done? Yes. Okay. Who? I still think Kreider is traded this off season. Um, and I'm I'm 100 sure that there's interest in Nemesnikov. Oh, I definitely think there's interest in Nemesnikov. I think anyone who tells you there isn't is out of their mind. Um, I think there's a lot of interest in him. I think the thing is, is, um, and whether that's, um, I think a hockey stat miner has, has alluded to this is, is how much are we going to retain of his contract for 2019, 2020? Um, do we retain a million, and a half, two million? What do we retain on his contract? But the player of Nemestikov is completely valuable to another team. What you're going to get back, you know, you don't really care. You're looking for cap relief. You're not looking for you know, you're not trading him uh, for an asset, really. You're trading him to get under your cap. So, yeah, um, if, 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 yeah. yeah. If it is a, if it is a cap dump, if it is a cap dump, then yeah, you you get maybe a pick back or you know this the situation with Carl Hagelin in 2015. We got Emerson Edom, and I think we swapped second round picks with Anaheim, something along the lines of that, because Hagelin was a cap dump because they couldn't afford him with Stefan still unsigned and Stahl's new contract kicking in and all those things combined. Nemesnikov might be in a similar situation to Haglin, where he's going to be a cap dump. So if a team says, you know, we'll give you a fifth round pick for Nemesnikov, yeah, why wouldn't you do it? 
if if that gets you under the cap and and you know gets you cap compliant for the start of the season, then go for it. But I I think that Chris Kreider would be trade target number one for the Rangers because yeah, of his situation. I, yeah, I think he is too. I think he's also got the most value. Um, yeah. I'll be honest; it wouldn't surprise me if they trade both of them. Yeah, I mean they don't have to. It's it's not it's not. They they could, um, but if they trade Kreider and they're under the cap, then they no longer have to trade Nemesnikov as a cap dump. Then they could just go, then they they could just go negotiate for something of value. Well, what I meant more is is they could trade Kreider and they could even trade Nemesnikov mid season as a, you know, uh, a trade deadline piece that somebody might need a, uh, you know, somebody who can play in their middle six. Mm. You know that's a possibility because the nice thing about about Nemesnikov is that he has a lot of uh, a lot of versatility to his game. You could put him on the right wing, put him on the left wing. You could put him up the middle. You could put him in your top three if you have you know outstanding um, wingers around him. And uh, you know what I mean. So there's a lot of versatility to his game, whereas you know some other players might maybe don't have that versatility to their game, and they're kind of just they have a very set skill set that they're that they're good at, and that's kind of it. Um, he's kind of all over the place. So there are, there are teams, I think, you know, especially if the Rangers are not a playoff contender and the Rangers are, Hey, we're, we're still one year away. So let's just hold our horses here and maybe move Nemesnikov at a deadline. It's, that's not an, you know, uh, something that's out of the realm of possibility either. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, you know, I think, I think the preferred scenario for Gordon and for the Rangers will still be an off season without a buyout. It's nice to have the option, but um, yeah, do, do you want to put yourself in that position where a player like Smith is on the books for another four years? Yeah, yeah. But, that, but so now we're getting into the question of, so our buyout window isn't, isn't very long, so uh, Gordon is going to have to act swiftly here. He's going to have to figure out, can I move Kreider or... Mesnikov now and not have to buy out players or even trade like we talked about before Brendan Smith maybe even a you know a Kevin Shattenkirk if that's even a reality um or any four of those guys traded versus buying out a player so um I think he's gonna uh, my guess is that Gordon right now is actively pushing to trade these players and seeing what what returns are out there so that he can try to get that cap relief um so he doesn't have to buy somebody out um, I do think that if push comes to shove and he's at the end of this window and he feels like the market for those four players, um, you know, as, assuming assuming Chris Kreider, you know, he he knows the teams are giving him weak offers because they know he's up against the cap, um, and he says I'm not playing that game. I'm I want to get more of a return for Chris Kreider, so he wants to hold on to him a little bit longer. I could see him then saying, okay, well, let's just buy out Brendan Smith, and now we can trade Chris Kreider with a little bit more. Um, I guess leverage, so to speak. Yeah, by be, by being cap compliant when you go into the credit negotiations. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it gives it gives you more more negotiating power. It gives you a lot more negotiating power. Yeah. Yeah, and Kreider, I mean, there's one more year left on his deal. Any playoff team would be uh, would be you know lining up to add him to the team. Exactly. So. Um, like I said, I, I, my guess is that the next um, 48 hours, Gorton is going to try to exploit trades for Kreider, Nemesnikov, Smith, 
Shattenkirk, those four players. That may, and I would actually throw in, um, I would throw in Ryan Strome too. Um, I think he's a, a, a definitely a possibility for a trade scenario. So those are the five players I think that are possibly moved off this roster, and I think Gorton is going to, you know, explore those options. Then he's going to weigh those options of what those returns look like versus a buyout of a Brendan Smith and you know burying some guys. Yeah, if they trade Ryan Strom, it means that they are fully committed to Hedl, Anderson, or Howden as the second line center. Right. Um, and that's not the worst scenario, too. Uh, and depending on how much more we get under the cap, um, you know, there still is a Brian Boyle out there that doesn't have a job. So it, it's not a, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he takes a league minimum and, you know, takes a, you know, a, a fourth line role. Yeah, but the fourth line role doesn't doesn't solve the problem of not having a second line center. No, what I'm saying is if you're committed to having if you're if you're moving Strom off the team and you're saying we're gonna go with Leas a uh, 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 Anderson slash Filipino two three slot, um, we can you know we can go get a veteran and not have to um, worry about you know keeping like Strom would be your three and then everyone else, and then somehow I mean Strom would be your two and then Leas. I guess Leas or Hedl would be a, a three four or how that kind of plays out. I think now you could, if you're confident moving those kids up, you can move Ryan Strom and get a cheaper alternative for another center. And by doing that, save another two million. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting forty eight hours uh, Monday morning. Um, and, and I think for Ranger fans, they finally have something to, uh, to look forward to because something is going to happen. Yeah. Um, um and, and let's, let's get into the Buchnevich thing. Cause that's kind of where, that's why we are where we are right now. So yeah. Yeah. Um, Buchnevich signed, uh, on Friday, um, two year deal, which is what I expected. Um, at 3.2 million or 3.25. It's probably around where I expected him to sign. I thought it would be between three and three point five million. If it if it if 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 it would have gone to arbitration, I would have I would have expected between three and three point five million. So it seems like to me at least that the Rangers and Butchnevich basically saved the uh, the arbitrator a couple of hours of work by coming to that conclusion themselves. Yeah, and then and this also because. Um... He, because Bushnevich has basically gave himself a a bridge deal to, to you know bank on himself. That last year is going to probably be a you know depending on how the next two years go for Pavel, either the Rangers are going to turn around and say let's just rip this up and sign you long term and in twenty twenty one, or are you movable or a movable asset at that point? And you never know. I mean, at that point, it's possible that you know guys like. Um, Capo Caco, Hedl, um, you know, Anderson, Kraslov, maybe those guys fill in some slots in that top six. And now Buchnevich is more of a luxury to have. And we can say, you know what? Yeah, you're, 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 you're good, but we've got a lot of pretty good wingers. So we can, you know, turn around and flip you for maybe something we need. Maybe we need a center at that point, who knows, or, or maybe some, some futures. So, um, and and we've talked about this on this, on this podcast, and I've talked about this on any podcast I've I've been on. 
is that the one thing that Gorton has done throughout this entire rebuild is provide himself with lots of flexibility for different avenues to go down. He's not pigeonholing himself into a certain strategy. He's providing options for himself as things go down the road. So he can trade a Pavel Buchnevich in two years. He can, um, you know, the defensemen, you know, like look how many defensemen we've drafted over the last two years. He can say, well, maybe we've got, maybe all these defensemen pan out. And guess what? Now we've got, you know, trade assets that we can Mm -hmm. go in, you know, fill other roles with other defensemen that we have in our pipeline. Or maybe only a few of them pan out and we don't worry about them. We've solved our problem anyways. You know, um, we also are, are, from what I've seen, we're, we're super heavy, you know, on that, um, you know, on that, um, that, that right side, which is kind of like, I mean, I hate saying it, but in the NHL, I mean, like right-handed defensemen are kind of like a premium. So, you know, it's not, po- it's not impossible down the road where someone like a, a Tony D'Angelo or, you know, a, um, try, another, another right-handed defenseman, maybe, Maybe an Adam Fox. I mean, like th- those guys could be traded down the road if you need to, if your Keandre Millers and Lundqvists fill out the way you want them to. So yeah. Rangers have just provided themselves with lots of different paths to go down. They're not, they're not in one path and they have to steer that path. They can adjust on the fly to how things develop. And, and that's the sign of a good GM where you're, you're, you're providing yourself flexibility and you can go in many different directions and you're going to allow the team to pave that path for you as opposed to try to force it. Yeah. And, and our uh, strategy when it comes to defense reminds me a little bit of Nashville, not in terms of quality because, you know, Roman Yossi and Matthias Ekholm and Ryan Ellis and, and every other defenseman they've had in their system, like Seth Jones, they they have done an amazing job recognizing defensive talent in the draft and going out and getting it. Uh, But they put themselves in a position a few years ago where they were able to trade Seth Jones for a top-line center in Ryan Johansson. That trade was is is probably my favorite trade in the NHL in the last 25 years from from a fan's perspective because it was a one-for-one trade, different positions, and it's 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 one of the one of the few trades that I can think of where everyone's a winner. Every every player in that trade, you know, every every the four corners, the two teams, the, the two individual players, they got something out of it. It was it was a win-win for both sides. And if the Rangers can be in that situation a few years from now with what you said, Adam Fox, where they trade a guy like Adam Fox for a top six center because they need one behind Zibanejad, that would be amazing. If you have the depth on defense to make a trade like that, then then that's something you you should do any day if if it comes up. Right. Or, you know, like I said, or or a Lieber Hayek or, you know, a um you know a Rykov or a Lindgren or, you know Lundquist maybe. You know Yeah, I mean the list goes on and on. It's like you know, the one thing that the Rangers have done for themselves is provide themselves different flexibility. Mm. Um, I'm a little bit disappointed you didn't mention Rayuna then in that list, but okay, it's fine. Uh, um, but yeah, I'll be honest. The, the only reason why I didn't mention him is because I don't know. I haven't seen enough of him to know where I I, I view him. Mm. Um, so I, I don't want to. I don't want to speak on a player that I really don't. You know, I've seen more of. Like I'll be honest, I've seen more of Joey Keane and Sean Day than I've seen of 
you know, unit. So yeah. no, no, but but it's it's just it's, it's just the never-ending list of defensemen we have. It's 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 incredible. It's an incredible depth to have, and and we have two amazing young young Russian goalies in the system in Shashtyorkin and Georgiev. Um, I mean, we're set in any in 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 every position except the center position. Yeah, and yeah, we we still have Adam Huska too. That's on our roster too. I mean, people forget like the 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 Rangers do have lots of different you know movable parts to their to this to this rebuild. So, um, at any point when something goes awry, they've got another piece they can kind of throw into this mix and say, well, what's this going to look like? You know, so I I think that's kind of where I was trying to get at with the rebuild that Gorton has done is that he's provided himself lots of depth and lots of flexibility, so he can go in many different routes. He can turn around, you know, next year and trade Tony D'Angelo. He can trade, you know what I mean? He can do that. It's totally, you know, he can turn around and say, sure, I've got a a 24-year-old stud right-handed defenseman, um, but you know what? He's going to cost me X dollars, and I've got guy. Maybe I maybe maybe at that point I feel comfortable saying, you know what? Adam Fox is my Tony D'Angelo, and he's a little younger, and I want to go with him. And Tony D'Angelo has some, you know, he's rebounded his career. People are believing him again, you know, in terms of like his off ice kind of, you know, crap, whatever. And they know what he provides on the ice. So some team is going to turn around and say, sure, we'll give you a, you know, a good return for him. And maybe he does get flipped or maybe he gets kept. But the, the, the thing is, is that they're not pigeonholed into anything. And that's what's nice about having lots of young assets is you don't pigeon yourself into anything. If you look at, even if we talked about before, Kevin Shadkirk, Mark Stahl, and Brendan Smith. All three of those guys are roughly, I want to say, like what, sixteen million ish, seventeen million of the cap, right? Wait, who? Uh, so Kevin Shattenkirk, Mark Stahl, mm-hmm. and Brendan Smith. You're looking at like fifteen to seventeen million, somewhere around that range. Yeah, right? yeah, it's, it's something in that range. Uh, right, so right. All, and that's yeah. all coming off, and that's all coming off the books in two years. So that money will at some point get reinvested into your D'Angelo's and your Foxes. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so forth and so on. You know, like all those guys, like your your recalls or or whoever comes through your your pipeline, you're gonna reinvest in those guys at some point. So that that's the flexibility is you have all these young assets, and whoever rises to the top, you're gonna invest in them. And whoever doesn't, or if there is some kind of debate between two guys, you can literally have a, a trade ship and turn around and say, look, we've got two guys here. What do you want? Some team turns around and really needs a young defenseman and says, we'll give you all this stuff. And Gordon says, sure, done. Now he's got more assets and he's still got um, his depth. Uh, yeah, which is basically what Tampa Bay did in the McDonald trade. They, they gave up a first-round pick, a second-round pick, and, of course, Nemesnikov for McDonough and Miller, but also two prospects. And the reason they were able to give up prospects like Howden and Hayek is because they had other uh, prospects in their system already that they considered better or more valuable. So they, they had options. They had Sergeyev who was already playing in the, in the NHL at the time. They have, uh, they have so many good young forwards in, in Cirelli and Braden Point. And, and it, that, that's the depth that you need to make those, to make those trades down the line. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I think when I think when you're rebuilding a team, um, you know, the two most important things are obviously number one is that you know high level elite player, um, Panarin, Kako, like that kind of ceiling of a player. Um, but those are getting those are are hard. You know, you have to win a lottery. You have to. 
find a guy in free agency. You have to maybe make a, a blockbuster trade. Those guys don't come off, and you know, or, or maybe you just hit the lottery like you know Tampa Bay has with uh, with Cooch with, with uh, you know with Cooch. I mean, like sometimes that happens, mm-hmm. um, but you know that's rare. You know that you find those gems that that late. Most of the time, you're going to have to earn it through the draft, or earn it through a trade, or earn it through you know just waiting the guy hit free agency and pay, pony up for him. That's just the way that that's the reality. But the other side of the coin that's just as important and actually is attainable if you do the right things is creating depth. And you create that by really good drafting, holding on to your picks and making smart picks. And then you might have, you know, tons of guys that can fill out the middle part of your team. But those are very important pieces. Some team might turn around who needs a who is in a playoff hunt and say, you know, we need a number three defenseman. We'll give you this for it. Or we need a, you know, a, 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 a winger, a middle six winger, and we, you've got one to flip. So that's the other side of the coin of a rebuild, and Gorton has done an outstanding job on that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with what he has done since he took over in uh, on July 1st, 2015. Uh, that was really the turning point. He, he had, like, that really weird, bad trade for Eric Stahl, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's... Well, what he has done in the last four years is just—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's nothing short of of miraculous, almost. If you look at the team he had, the team he inherited from from Glenn Sather, and and what he did with it, like with the Brassard for Zibanejad trade, which which was his first big deal, and then all the assets he got for Grabner and McDonough and Zuccarello and Hayes and Nash and Miller and. And then and then drafting a guy like Kraftsoff ninth overall that nobody was happy with when it was announced. I have seen a video. Um, one of my friends who lives in New York, Catherine, she was at the draft party at uh, at the Hulu Theater in 2018, and she had a she had recorded a video of the moment the Kraftsoff pick was announced. And man, it was it was almost like a war zone. People were booing and. And yelling and shouting and half of the people walked out. <laughs> um, but it turned out to be, I know it's only one year in, but it it turned out to be a pretty good pick so far. And sometimes you just need to take a little bit of a risk. And you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. It, it has worked out so far with Heedle at 21st overall in 2017, which was a huge, a huge uh, reach at the time. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in this front office making the right decisions. Uh, the team that Gordon has assembled around him, uh, getting Bobrov, uh, from, from Boston, um, with Chris Drury as the assistant GM. I'm just, I have a lot of confidence in, in them doing the right things. Now, John Davidson's back in the organization. They're putting a lot of, uh, a lot of emphasis on the development of their prospects by hiring guys like Tanner Glass and Tuomo Rutu to, you know, to to sort of uh, uh, manage these uh, these kids uh, and to tell them, you know, what it takes to make it in the NHL and like the, the stuff that, that that fans usually don't think about because it's more than just showing up for the game and putting your skates on, going out on the ice and playing the game. There's so much more to it. When, when a kid from Sweden makes makes the jump, or a kid from the Czech Republic, like Hedl, or Kako from Finland now, when they make that, that jump from Europe to move to North America as a teenager, that comes with 
a lot of baggage. Uh, it's it's a huge step. Uh, it's uh, mentally, it's it's very it's very difficult to handle. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I moved to South Africa when I was 22. And that for me was, was one of the most difficult things I had to do in my life. Because you, you easily underestimate what a big change it is to your life. Uh, and these guys do it when they're 18, 19 years old. You know, they're, they're even younger. So it's, it's having, having guys in the organization like Jed Ortmeier, who also does the same thing who, you know, know what it takes to make it in the NHL, know how much work and how much effort goes into reaching that level. Uh, I think, I think they, they, they made the right decision to, to put more focus on that right now. Yeah, no, no, um, I completely agree with you, dude. I have no, no, no counterpoint to that. You're, you hit the nail right on the head with that. Yeah. Hit the nail right on that. Um, so moving forward, let's let's just um, so let's start getting into. I mean, this is like I said, this is the summer. There's really not a lot to talk about. I think we're if we had to make we, we tried making some predictions. You know, um, Steve made some predictions that the buyout's going to be the last option for the Rangers. I kind of agree with that. I think they're going to try to make a deal. Um, he thinks Kreider is gone. I do think Kreider's gone. Um, my guess is that. Um, I think Brendan Smith gets bought out. He thinks that probably not, that they're probably going to try not to. I think, I think, I think Kreider does get traded and I think Brendan Smith gets bought out. And I think there might be some other moves that kind of go down the pipeline. Let's see what happens uh, this week. But you know, um, like I said, Gordon's got some options here. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen. Like I said, it's 48 hours, uh, the buyout window. Um, so it's, it's now or never, if he doesn't buy out anyone now, then he has to resort to trades to get under the cap. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, I think that, that Brendan Smith might be bought out. I just, I hope that they find a way to, to get under the cap without using a buyout because I'm not a fan of buyouts. It should be a last resort. Yeah. I'm not a fan of them either, but I think it actually does happen. That's my guess. My guess is that, that he's going to try to trade you know, you're, you're an Amesnikov, Kreider kind of player. And other teams are going to know that, hey, the Rangers are up against the cap. They're over right now. They need to move a player or else they need to buy somebody out. And they're going to go down that route. Yeah. I think the Rangers, I think, I think other teams are going to hold that above the, the, the Rangers. And the Rangers in turn are going to say, okay, we're not going to let you bully us. We'll just buy out the player and deal with it. Yeah, yeah, well, that's that's something I can get behind. You buy out Smith, and then you go into the Kreider and the Mesnikov negotiations with with actual leverage to get something of value out of it. Exactly. So yeah. it's like, let me just buy out the player, deal with the cap for the next few years, and and which is actually it's not that bad with the Brendan Smith buyout, to be honest with you. No, the um, Brendan Smith buyout is 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 okay. It's just the Kevin Shattenkirk buyout that I I'm I really have a problem with. Yeah, um, I do. I do too. I mean, that's the one thing that I've seen floating around on on uh, on Rangers Twitter from a few people, specifically Larry Brooks. Um, that I just can't. I mean, I understand. I, I read his article. I get where he's coming from, but man, it is a that it that that to me is really last case scenario. I would not buy out Shattenkirk. I just don't get it. I mean, you're really killing yourself next year. You really are. Yep. Um. I just not a fan of that one. I'd really rather buy out Brendan Smith and 
you know, if I needed to, like I said, at least if I buy out Brendan Smith, I'm giving myself a little bit of breathing room that I can go into trading Nemesnikov and or Kreider with real leverage. Yeah. Real leverage. I can actually say, we don't, we can keep both players and we totally can. You and you want, you're yeah. going to pay. And you don't shoot yourself in the foot for, for next season. Exactly. Yeah. So um, that's my guess of what happens. Uh, I, like I said, my guess is Smith gets brought out. Shattenkirk stays on the team. Um, obviously, Stahl is going to stay on this team because he's the kind of de facto captain at this point. I think um, one of Nemesnikov and or Kreider gets traded. My guess is Kreider, and my guess is that it's, um, it's after the buyout. So he gets bought out, and then later on the summer, Kreider gets traded. That's my guess. Midseason. Um, I don't even think midseason. I think he gets traded this summer. I think the okay. rain, I think Gordon is going to try to, I think Gordon is going to buy out. Um, he's going to buy out Smith to give himself the leverage to trade Kreider before the season starts. Okay. Um, so with that said, let's just get to some questions. Cause I feel like there's not a lot else to talk about. Right. Should, should we discuss the summer showcase quickly before we uh, go to the questions? You can, but I, I tried. So uh, summer showcase started, of course. Uh, Rangers have five prospects in it: uh, Nils Lundqvist, Carl Hendrickson, and Olaf Lindbom for Sweden, and Keandre Miller and Zach Jones for Team USA White, because the United States plays with two teams: USA White, USA Blue. Uh, Keandre Miller and Zach Jones play for USA White. Um, Zach Jones got a primary assist in a three-two loss to Finland, uh, assisted. Well, yeah, I, I, it, it was a shot from, from the blue line, and Wallstrom scored on the rebound. So, But it counts as an assist. It's not really that it came off a pass or anything. But yeah, Zach Jones got on the board, so that, that's, that's a good sign. Um, the bad news for Ranger fans, and some fans probably saw it on Twitter already, Nils Lundqvist uh, suffered an injury in uh, the game uh, against USA Blue. Um, or USA White. I'm just mixing up blue and white. I just anyway, one of the U- USA teams um, had a weird injury where he like no one was close to him, and his skate started wobbling and and he just went down awkwardly. Um, he's been taken out of the tournament as a precaution, and will probably fly to Sweden this week where he will be evaluated. So. I hope it's not too serious. Um, hockey season in Finland starts end of August. So he, he has he has like a whole month to recover from this. Um, so yeah, let's hope it's not too serious. But uh, not the summer showcase I was hoping for as a Ranger fan. Yeah, I mean, I saw the injury. Um, I saw the video of it. Um, the fact that they took him out for the tournament to me says either... It doesn't say precaution. It says that, look, it doesn't mean that it's a, a career ender or anything like that. I mean, that's obviously, that's way crazy speculation. But it shows that it was significant enough that I don't want to play, which is, you know, a little alarming. But, you know, until you have any word of anything, it's just, okay. let's just see what happens. They were already planning on uh, healthy scratching him for the game today, by the way, because they play back-to-back games. And him and uh, Fagemo and uh, Berggren and some other drafted players were already listed as healthy scratches for today's game before the injury happened. So, yep. So there you go. So, um, so and, with that, let's just 
I'm, we ha- yeah. we have some because uh, you and I had some uh, some good news on Friday as well. Some breakthrough. We uh, we actually bought our tickets for the Nashville game. Oh yeah yeah yeah! Totally forgot about us even talking about that. I mean, that's, yeah yeah I, yeah. Friday, you know what? It's Friday feels so long ago because I had a long weekend. <laughs> yeah, so it's actually happening. We're one step closer to uh, to this m- m- amazing moment where where you and I are actually meeting in person for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, got tickets to the game. So if anyone is at the game in Nashville on November second, then yeah, just. Uh, if you if you see us walking around, just walk up to us. It's uh, I hope it's gonna be a great game. I've never been to Nashville, but I've heard so many great stories about it. Yeah, so have I, which is why I'm going. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's close it's close for you too. It's like a it's it's a few hour drive, a few hours to drive, and yeah, it's like li- little like four hours, which is not yeah. bad for me at all. Yeah, it's much easier than meeting up in New York. Uh yeah, well, I mean. If you think about it, like a four-hour drive, or if I were to fly to New York, it would be about four hours. And I don't mean by the flight, but by the time I actually drive to the airport, park the car, get into the airport, go through uh, check-in, you know, before I check in, get my hour flight to from Atlanta to New York, land, all of that. It's roughly about the same amount of time in terms of travel, mm-hmm. travel time. You know, getting in a car and driving four hours to Nashville is basically the same as me getting in a you know, getting in a car, driving to the airport, getting on a plane, yeah, landing yeah. landing in New York, and then going to the garden. But driving to Nashville is not as exhausting. At least in my experience, driving somewhere for four hours is less exhausting than than flying somewhere for an hour. Yeah, and that's because of all the um, you know, the the security stuff that's you know that takes place before that, and then commuting to the airport usually. Because if yeah. you're in a major city, like I even know, I even equate that to being in New York, right? Anytime I had to go to the airport, you know, I lived in Brooklyn. And so when I had to, you know, when I had to go to the airport, if it was for whatever, if I had to go to LaGuardia, man, that was a mission for me. Cause that was a lot, lot further than me going to Kennedy. Kennedy was a little bit closer. So if I had to go to LaGuardia, like that was a mission, man, that was a long drive. And then you had to get through all the customs. If you were flying internationally or you had to go through security, if you were doing a short flight, you know, domestically. So it just adds a lot to your, to your travels. So, so sometimes going somewhere simple, like if I were to go to Boston or DC, sometimes it's actually worth it to like get on a train or, or, or drive because it's, it's, um, the amount of time you're spending doing all the other stuff versus just sitting in a car is, is it roughly evens out. Yeah. Yeah. It, when, when I fly to the U S if I cannot get a direct flight from Vienna, I always try to book a flight where, uh, the first part of my trip is within the EU because then I can just go to the airport, not having to show my passport here in Vienna, get on the plane, go to Frankfurt or Zurich or Paris or Amsterdam, whatever, and then go through the whole passport check and everything when I'm at the airport at my at the second location, which is already part of my of my connect of the time I have to wait for my connecting flight anyway. So I can I can get to the airport like 30 minutes before my flight takes off here in Vienna and and make it to the gate in 20 minutes. Yeah, that's 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 nice for you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. So, but yeah, right. Na- Nashville Nashville's happening. So yeah, 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 it's gonna be fun. So you want to get the questions? You want to do that? Because we got yeah. a lot of questions. Yeah, let's. We have eight, eight or nine questions. So let's uh, let's get to it. Yeah. So first one is from Andrew Owens. So it says, uh, what are some non Colorado, uh, Crider trade destinations 
and what would the package look like? So um, non non Colorado. So what? First of all, let's let's think about that. What teams do you think that Crider can go to? That you, you know, I guess right now with the with the cap the way it is, uh, Boston is probably uh, the one. I'd, it's probably top of my list if I have to if I have to pick one. Yeah, uh, they've got what about six or seven million dollars in cap space. Yeah, yeah, they have like seven million in cap space. Uh, they they already have their whole team signed, so they can easily afford it. They can easily take on the cap hit. Uh, Kreider is, of course, from Massachusetts, so that 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 connection is already there, um, and they are a contender. So adding Kreider to their top six, uh, you know, they already have that amazing top line of Marshan, Pasternak, and Bergeron. They have Krejci centering the second line. If you put Kreider on that left wing, and then a guy like like Charlie Coyle, for instance, on the right wing, that is a really good top six for uh, for a contender. Uh, that is a really good second line, actually. And then they have uh, Jake DeBrusque on the third line on the left wing. I mean, that's if you have a guy like J- Jake DeBrusque. If on Jake the DeBrusque line, is on your third line, you're a really good team. Yeah, so it it makes a ton of sense. You know, uh, Colorado has added some pieces uh, already this off season, so maybe they are less likely to go after Kreider. But Boston, it just it just fits. Like yeah, I, I mean that, yeah. that that's actually a team that could they could afford them and you could put them in the top six and maybe that pushes them over the edge. I could see yeah. that. I, I actually I think that's a good one. Now, return. What are you asking uh, for? Um I'm 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 torn. Do I go for a first round pick and a middling prospect or for a lower pick and a better prospect? Mm. I guess it depends on on you know how much the Rangers know about the prospects they have. Um, when the draft happened, the Rangers uploaded a video, and I think it was uh, Nick Bobrov who was talking about Brendan Lemieux and Livor Hayek and Brett Howden, uh, who were all all three, of course, were acquired by the Rangers in trades in the last year and a half, mm-hmm. and. Bobrov, I, I assume it's Bobrov, could have been Gordy Clark. Anyway, uh, Bobrov or Gordy Clark said um, that they, they already had everything on file. They, they liked those players at the combine in their draft years, and that's why they targeted them. So if the Bruins have a player, uh, for instance, Trent Frederick or uh, Jakub Lauko, the, 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 the forward from the Czech Republic, if they have a player like that, that they really liked uh, at the combine in their draft year, then that would be a target. Um, I think the Rangers would target a forward because how many defensemen do you need? Yeah. Yeah. But I would gladly take a second round pick if that means I get a better prospect in return because the Rangers are, are in a situation now where they are, where, where they are sort of filling out their roster with young players. Do you really want a first round pick who's going to take another three, four years to, to get there? Or are you going for a second-round pick with a better prospect who could step in maybe a year from now? Well, let me ask you this question. Is it? Do you think a trade would be a one-for-one, like we're going to get just a pick or just a, a player? Or do you think it's going to be multiple pieces for Kreider? If it's a one-for-one trade uh, for a player, then it has to be an NHL-ready player or a top prospect. And I, I don't see any team giving up a top prospect. Um, so then it would be a one-for-one trade with a roster player but then what's the point 
Wow. No, agreed. I mean, or, or, or would you say a top, like, you don't think they give up a top prospect is your, your assumption. No, like uh, we, 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 we went over this uh, around the deadline when there was talk about Kreider going to Nashville for a package including Ailey Tolvanen. Those players aren't, uh, not yet at least, aren't part of trades. You know, Carolina is not going to give up Martin Echas. Uh, Nashville is not going to give up Ailey Tolvanen. It just doesn't happen. St. Louis is not going to give up Dominic Bock, who plays in Sweden. Um, so if... If, especially not for a guy with one year left on his contract. Okay. Um, but a second round pick and a, and a good prospect, a good prospect, that's probably my preference instead okay. of a first round pick and a slightly worse prospect. And any prospects that you had, the, the prospects that you mentioned, um, Lauko or Frederick, those are guys that you would try to target to see if you can snatch those for a, a trade with Boston? Um, Lauko is a guy that I've seen myself, uh, one that I was actually l- hoping he would be picked by us in the draft uh, last year. Um, I've heard some good stories about Jack, uh, Jack Studnika, Studnichka. Uh, um, so yeah, they, they have prospects to, uh, to bargain with. Okay. Um, Trent Frederick is probably high on that list as well. Because he's a center, and, and yeah, I know in, when it comes to quantity, we're set at the center position. But when it comes to quality, we're not quite there yet. So if you would add another guy, another center like Trent Frederick, it just gives more competition for the guys you already have. And you will put yourself in a position like with the defense where the best player out of that whole crop will just rise to the surface. And that will be your player. You know, you have more chips to put on the table. I think Boston makes the most sense for Kreider. Um, I think that makes, yeah, I think Boston makes some some good sense. Are there any, any West Coast teams you could think of that might make some sense? I mean, I know like Minnesota Wild, they've got a ton of cap space. Yeah, but is Minnesota really a team that's going to go? Well, I mean, they they do have they do have Zuccarello. So maybe maybe reuniting Zuccarello and Kreider, who knows? Maybe. I mean, it's uh, not a foregone conclusion. I mean, the fact that they gave Zuccarello six million dollars for the next five years makes me think that they think they can win. Why else would you do that? Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, Minnesota, they they have some good forwards. You know, they have J- Jason Zucker, who I absolutely love. Um, that. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, their GM is not is not a genius. Uh, giving up Nita Ryder for Victor Rosk, but no, that was that was a terrible trade. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they still have Parise and Suter on the books for another six years, I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it could work. Um, there's there's one prospect that Minnesota has that I would love that I already know they're not going to give up, which is Kaprizov. Mm. Um, led the KHL in goals and was second in points behind Gusev last season. Really good. What about what about Kovanov? Would they give him? Not probably not, right? Kovanov? Yeah, Alexander Kovanov. The center. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, could be. Um, Are they willing to give up on Kovanov a year after they drafted him? I don't know. I don't know. 
Um, but it, it again, it depends on on what you want. Do you want a first round pick and a middling prospect, or a second round pick and a better prospect? I would probably take a better prospect than a second round pick. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's another team that I could think of. I mean, I'm looking at teams that would you know have the the cap space to a, afford this kind of a move. You know, I mean, yeah. you're yeah, really I, you're really stretching there. That's why I, I it's hard to think about those teams of, of who can possibly afford him. Um, well, another Colorado, team that, still, Colorado still has the cap space, but, you know, with with the addition of, of Donskoy and Kadri and Burakovsky, they've added so many forwards already. Do they want to go for an even bigger overhaul by adding uh, Kreider to that? Yeah. Um, another team that I that actually, you know, you want to talk about cap space, but once again, this is going to come into the, the the touchy subject is the New Jersey Devils. I mean, they've got, you know, $17 million in cap space. They can easily, easily afford a Chris Kreider. That is not even a problem with them. They, matter of fact, they could take Kreider and Mesnikov on their team. Um, the thing is, is you trade with the Devils. You know, well, a, you know, we, we, we did already. We did two years ago. Yeah, but this would be a little bit different. Um, it, it's different when you're selling... I hate saying it. you're selling a, a Michael Grabner as a trade deadline when the team is trying to make a push and you're just kind of getting rid of assets and just trying to, you know, stockpile for the future as opposed to making an actual like a hockey deal, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, with the uh, Jack Hughes Capo Caco draft that, that we had a month ago, uh, I think they really reignited the rivalry. Um. So yeah, is it? I don't know. I I I don't see a trade happening with New Jersey. Oh, I don't think it'll happen. But I mean, like we're talking about teams that could possibly afford him. I'm I'm just going through some the list of some teams. I oh, think. I mean, if if New Jersey wants to give up Jesper Jesper Brat, for instance, for for Chris Kreider, then with with something going, uh, you know, either way here or there in terms of picks, then I'd be interested. Yeah, but. Um, I still think that Boston is the most likely candidate to land Kreider this offseason. Yeah, I think they make the most sense out of all the teams we've went through. Um, another team that could make some sense um, is actually the, uh, I don't know what they're, how many restricted free agents they have left. Um, I think probably it's only, only Kachuk at this point are the, the Calgary Flames. They've still got some cap space there. And yeah. if, you ate, if you ate a little bit of the money, it would, it would fit. They only have four million left with Kachuk still unsigned. So, right. But the thing is, also, is you could eat some of uh, Kreider's salary too. So that could help. So you could eat some of Kreider's salary, retain some of his money, um, so that they could sign Kachuk and then take on um, take on Kreider. So he, I'm just, I'm looking at teams that you know are really good and have some cap space too. So like the Calgary Flames are a team where they are a very, very good team. So does Kreider put them over the edge out there in the West? Maybe. I mean, they, they, they are stacked with forwards. They got some really good forwards. Um, the Milan Lucic thing still makes no sense to me why they did that. Um, I think I'd rather have Kreider than Lucic, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, is that something that they're, you know, they're, they're looking at? They're looking to get some size, too, and some, you know, uh, some net front, pre- you know, net front presence, you know? So, I'll, I'll throw out one more team before we move on to the next question. And this, I'm dead serious here. This is not a joke. I'm dead serious. Montreal. Oh, I'm not laughing. They, they, they could use him. They, they could. I just think, I think that, 
would they do it is my question. And I mean that from a sense of, do they think they're a win now team? Um, that's my only question. I don't care about the price thing. I think that's so stupid. I don't think any, I don't think a good GM is going to care about that past stuff. Like that's so uh, far into the radar. Montreal was one win away from making the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, if if you add Kreider, it gives you a couple of extra wins. All of a sudden, you're in the playoffs. And if we've learned anything the last ten years. Is that anything can happen in the playoffs? The number eight seed in the West won the cup in 2012. Yeah, you're right. So if yeah, I know that there's some history between Montreal fans and Kreider because of the whole Kerry Price situation back in 2014, but it would make sense. Not as much sense as Boston, because that's still the best scenario for him. Right. But yeah, Montreal is an option. Yeah, the, the thing I like about Montreal, let's say they were a real option, um, is I actually like a bunch of their prospects. So for me, from a prospect point of view, there's two or three that I would probably like to snag, snag from them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one being, um, you know, Ryan Paling, uh, which I don't know if they'll give him up. Um, Nick Suzuki is another one that I like. Um, they recently drafted Cole Caulfield. I don't think they're going to bail on him that fast. But, you know, he's someone I would, I would ask for, even though I know that would be like a no. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can always then start pivoting to, okay, well, you don't want to do any of those things. Um, give me your next year's first. Give me your 2020 first. And play a little bit of that bank on them being bad kind of thing. You know, them or missing the playoffs. You, you, you love doing that, don't you? I do. I do. I'm, I'm such a big fan of looking at teams that thinking they're there and banking and, and really just betting on them saying, you know what? No, you're an idiot and you're not quite there yet. And you're going to fall a little short and we're going to get a better pick. Yeah. But a lot of GMs lottery protect our picks now after the whole situation Ottawa went through. I mean, they can lottery protect next year, but then they can't lottery protect the year after. That is correct. Cause you can only have one condition on a pick. Exactly. So um, that's fine. I, I would, you know, if they want a lottery protective for 2020, I would, I would pu- see, I would try to push though. I would say you can't have it both ways. You either give it to me unprotected or you give it to me that pick plus you're going to give me decent prospect. And, and that's okay too. I mean, you can, you can play around with that. And if they're gung ho on saying no, 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 that's fine, but they can't protect it for 2021. Yeah. I mean, I like the 2020 draft better, but heck, I mean, Let's be honest. You look at this this Montreal team. I'm sorry, but they're one of these teams that thinks they're better than they are, and they could totally crash. And then in 2021, be an absolute. They could be the next, you know, Ottawa. They could. Yeah. Who knows? All right. So I, what's I, the next? So what's the next question? Uh. So yeah. So the next question is from Andrew Metric. Metric. I think his name is. Um. How would Stall retiring impact the cap? Stahl's not retiring, so I think... Oh, but I, I can answer that question, though, because okay. it's, it's, it's a hypothetical, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not going to retire, so we can definitely... Because he's asking how it would impact the cap. Yeah. All right. Um, so when a player retires, there's only a cap recapture penalty if the cap hit over the, uh, over the, 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 the concluded years has been uh, 
has been lower than the actual salary that has been paid out. So a front loader's contract, which is often given out by wealthy teams like the Rangers. You pay a player more in the first few years, and then you pay them less in the final years. Uh, so the player gets more money up front, and it's also easier to trade them to budget teams. But if a player retires, uh, then there's a cap recapture penalty. And what it comes down to is basically this. Uh, the salary paid out already minus the total cap. So in this case, 5.7 million over the previous four years. Salary paid out minus total cap is the cap benefit. And the cap benefit is then divided by the number of remaining years on the contract. And that is your cap recapture penalty for those remaining years. So if Stahl would retire this season, the cap recapture penalty would come down to 1.1 million for two years. If he retires next year, it's 1.5 million for one year. Um, with Lundqvist, if he would, because there, there's been some talk about Lundqvist, what if he retires, blah, blah, blah. If Lundqvist retires in 2020, there's one year left on his deal for 5.5 million, um, which means that's 3 million less than his cap hit. So you would get a cap recapture penalty of 3 million for that final year. Okay, so it's it's similar to a buy to a buyout, but not not quite. Yeah, but the big difference is uh, for the player. The big difference is he's not, he doesn't get he doesn't get uh, paid. He doesn't get paid for the years after his retirement. And for the club, they are on the hook only for the duration of the actual contract, and not twice the duration of the contract as you see in a buyout. If a player has two years left on his deal and you buy him out, that's on the books for four years and not two. If a player retires, it's only on the books for the remainder of the contract. Uh, but when, I, when Kevin Klein retired a few years ago, there was no cap recapture penalty because his uh, cap hit in the final year was lower than his actual salary. So there was no benefit for the team. It was not a front-loaded contract. And in that case, there's no cap recapture penalty. I see. Okay. Fair enough. Well, we, it's not going to happen, so we don't have to worry about it. So let's go to the next question uh, from Frederick. Looks like Leafs traded Fanouf. Why can't we move our pylons? Um, by uh, pylons, I assume he means the triple S. I, I, I think he probably means more than anything. You, when you start with the pylons, you're starting with, you know, Mark Stahl, obviously. Um, and the ever fleet-footed uh, Brendan Smith. I, I don't know if I'd call Shattenkirk a pylon. I think that's a little bit of a reach. Definitely the first two, though. Mm. Yeah, see, Mark Stahl is easy. That, that's an easy question to answer. Why can we not trade Mark Stahl? Because he has to agree to it. It's that simple. He has yep. a full he has a full no move and no trade clause. So if he doesn't want to leave New York, then that's it. That's where the conversation ends. Before you even sit down, that's that's the end of the conversation. Um, and yeah, I mean Toronto traded Dion Phaneuf uh, to Ottawa, um, and. It was a bit of a weird trade at the time. They got four or five players in return. Um, most of those were on expiring uh, contracts, so they would all be off the books. 
So it felt more like a like a cap dump from from Toronto's point of view. Uh, and Ottawa, Ottawa is always that team that needs to reach the cap floor. So by having a player like Dion Phaneuf on the books for seven million, it made it easier for them to reach the cap floor. So that was a unique situation that the Rangers will not find themselves in. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that's I think that's true. I mean, uh, I I think. You know, when we talk about why why can't we move any of our guys that have some unmovable contracts, are simply because we signed them to deals that are unmovable. <laughs> I mean, you know, first of all, let's just let's just take out the fact. Let's just take out the fact of the no move and the no trade. Do you want Mark Stahl at his cap hit for the next two years? If you were a team, no. Okay, so then th- the conversation ends there. Even if Mark was like. You know what? Cool. I'm gone. Like, whatever. I'll I'll go somewhere else. Do you want Mark Stahl at almost, you know, we're talking about almost six million dollars? Five point seven, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Say the range were you know, all right, we'll eat half of it. Okay. I mean you're looking at like basically three million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, three million I mean like three million dollars to play what? Like your, you know, sixth, seventh role? Um, well, here's the thing. If Dan Girardi can sign a contract in Tampa for $3 million a year uh, after being bought out, then financially it shouldn't be a problem for another team to take on Mark Stahl at 50%. I guess, but I mean, like, you're really reaching now. Like, that's my point is we're, we're assuming he says yes. We're assuming he waves. We're assuming that there's a buyer, and there was a, and we're assuming that we retain fifty percent. All of those assumptions, and still, you're limited to where you can move him with all of those assumptions. Yeah. That's so why he's not moved. Yeah, not- I mean, like you have you have so many hurdles of like of um of uh, variables you have to get past, and then even at that, once you get past all those variables, you're talking about a handful of teams that would make that move. Yeah. So because of that, he's going to be here. Um, for another two years. And, and even if he was playing well, he's got a no move and a no trade. So it doesn't make sense unless he says, cool, I'm, I, I want out. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. So that's really what it comes down to more than anything else. Um, but yeah, trust me. I trust me, Frederick. I wish we could move him, but that's just not going to happen. Um, so James says, does Smith get bought out? Um, we covered this. Yeah, um, there's no reason to... Uh, we're not going to rehash that. No. We covered that. Um, he did have a file. I think this is the same, James. Uh, he says, says, what rule would you like to see change in the NHL? That's a cool That's a cool question, so I'll let you handle that, that one first. That's probably my favorite question of the day so far, yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with a rule that the KHL actually implemented last week. Um, the KHL... Uh, announced their rule changes for the 2019-2020 season. And one of them is rule number 78. And rule number 78 basically means that your skate does not have to touch the blue line to be on side. And the last couple of years, we've been over this. There have been so many instances where a player is called offside because their trailing foot doesn't touch the ice. And I feel that, you know, as long as your skate is, is hovering over the blue line, in my opinion, you're on site. This, this would be no different than in the NFL, where 
if you uh, uh, if you want to score a touchdown, for instance, or if you want to uh, uh, reach the first down marker, you don't have to actually uh, touch the ground to you know as long as you break the plane, that's it. If they could if they could do that in the NHL the same way they do in the KHL right now, I would be really happy. Hmm. Um, I'm gonna go with a couple things I think that would be kind of interesting. Um, well, first of all, one thing I'd like to see get, get removed is that stupid, that, that trapezoid. You agree with that? Look, I live in Europe. I watch hockey without a trapezoid all the time and it doesn't affect the game at all. Yeah. So I'd like to see them get rid of that. Martin Brodeur is no longer in the league. So get rid of the trapezoid. Yeah. And if you can get a goalie who, who can, who wants to handle the puck in the corner, then let them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I know why it was implemented because of the icing and everything, but yeah, like I said, there's no trapezoid outside of North America, and it's it's never an issue. Yeah. Uh, there's one other rule that the KHL implemented, by the way. Uh, at the faceoffs, there are no changes. So if a player uh, a player is no longer thrown out of the circle. Oh, I like that. If they infringe a second time, it's a delay of game. Mm. I actually like that. I like that a lot. Oh, one thing I would... Um, so this is... So a couple things. I, I would actually be totally cool with them eliminating the shootout. That would be something I would like to see. Just go back to ties? Yeah. I mean, that's just me, though. I mean, I'm a little... You know, I, I don't really like the shootout. I think it's kind of if, if you're going to do the shootout, I want them to, to use the double IHF standards for points, where you get three points for a win in regulation, two points for a win in overtime, one point for a loss in overtime, and a zero for a loss in regulation. Mm. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I, you know, that's fine too. I just don't like the fact that the, that the shootouts are kind of just this, I don't know. I just feel like it's it becomes more, I don't know. It was kind of gimmicky, I think, for a little bit. And now I'm just like, eh, I don't know. I'm just not a fan of it. That's just me, though. Um, oh, one thing I, I think I I had, I had I, I saw this. I forgot where I saw this. This is a while ago. I thought it was a, someone met, mentioned this. And I was like, I think it was an old NHL rule. And then they, they changed it. And I'm like, this is a dope idea. What if we had a power play last the whole time, even if you score? The same way a major power play is. is... A- exactly. So just power play lasts regardless. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you get punished for the full two minutes. Exactly. You're getting punished no matter what. You get, you get the full two minutes. They score three goals, that's on you, dude. And that's, then you're going to really learn your lesson. Uh, Vegas fans are not going to like this. Yeah, no, they're not. But, I mean, it's, it's cool, though. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, I don't. Have, maybe I'm just. I just gotten too used to uh, like penalties ending the moment a goal is scored. But um, I mean, it would. It would create some. It would. It would. It would. It would. Like I'm thinking of things that could really like change. You know, like the the impact of the game that might be like, whoa, that's kind of interesting. Like you know, you know if, really if make I it was... like if you commit a penalty, dude, you commit a penalty. So you're on the power play. You're on the power play, and that's that. If I would change something, it would be that if you miss a penalty shot, you still get the power play. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that one. 
Or, or, you, or you know what would be a cool thing? What if, like, you know how, like, we always have, like, a 13th forward or, like, a 7th defenseman or whatever? Mm-hmm. But, like, um, if you bring them in, the injured player can't come back. So let's say, let's say someone gets hurt and you bring somebody in. Kind of like, you know, like in, in baseball where you, you make a substitution for a player? Like, you can't, you can't bring that, that 13th forward back in. So you would have you you would have your your starters your four lines and your three pairings, and then you would have two subs. Exactly, and then if you sub, you sub, and that's that. So your injured player is out for the game. Mm. You can't come back in. Yeah, that's actually that's actually quite interesting because it uh, it gives you it gives you more options because if if one of your players goes down after like two minutes with a with a concussion. Then you are playing. Uh, you, you you are down a man for the remainder of the game. Yeah, I actually, I, out of all the things you've said about this, this is this I like the most. Okay, I'm more of the power play thing because I think that's interesting because I I like to really like try to shake up the rules, but you know why not? I also I also wish they would go back to like the 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 previous icing rule instead of the hybrid icing. Oh, I don't mind the I don't mind the the hybrid icing actually. I don't I don't mind that. That one's fine. It's Definitely. still better than instant icing. Yes, agreed. Uh, the hybrid's better than the than the old than I don't like the the going back to the going back to um, retrieve it thing, but I don't mind the hybrid rule. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's better than the instant icing, but yeah, agreed. Um, okay, so the next so next question is from Sam Cassell. He says. Um, why have the Rangers waited so long to make moves? They knew they would be over the cap, and they have zero leverage as teams know they need to make moves. Um, yeah, that's a great question, and we actually talked about that, and I think that's a, a factor now in what's going on in the next you know, uh, 48 to 72 hours with, um, with Jeff Gordon is that he, other team, if he makes a deal with another team to trade, to trade, other teams know he's he's under the cap, so they're gonna you know they're gonna hold that little they're gonna hold that over his head. Um, I don't. I think the Rangers. It's it's not about why they waited to make moves, why they waited to, to take so long. I think the thing is is that the Rangers are being prudent with trying to get the best possible outcome. I actually think waiting has benefited the Rangers than not than being. Um, impatient and maybe doing something bad. Yeah, I, I I think that waiting was not really something that Gordon uh, uh, chose to do because a lot of other teams are also waiting for their arbitration cases to be settled. There were a lot of arbitration cases uh, scheduled and all those teams are still negotiating with their RFAs. Um. I expect more trades to happen once the final arbitration cases are settled because then GMs have, they know what they have. They know how much cap space they have. They know what position they're in, what they need, what they can do with their players. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily Gordon's decision to wait this long. It's just yeah, the way. It I, you know, I, I agree. With I also think that, I think the fact that the, that the cap, I think the cap situation is re- this year has really shocked a lot of GMs. Yeah, and because they because, had to make, they, I think they had to really adjust to oh the cap's not going up like we thought it would. So because the, the, there were talks about eighty three million and they they uh, in in the end it was only eighty one point five. Yeah, and and even though that 
you know, doesn't sound like very much. That one and a half million spread over a couple of players makes a big difference. Yeah. So, um, and that changes the whole narrative. You know, now GMs are going to be, okay, do we hold off and see what other people are signing for? Do we um, try to get more for our players? After, you know, another thing too is that there is that, you know, Gorton is also waiting to see what other teams need players. Because after everything is done, there, there's going to be a team that turns around and says, you know what? Yeah, we do need Chris Kreider. Oh, we do need Nemestikov. Oh, we do need Strom. Yeah. Because maybe, it, maybe they couldn't get the, they, you know, they couldn't, um, you know, uh, the player they wanted was going to cost a little bit, you know, um, a little more than they wanted. Or yeah. maybe they moved him. Who knows? Well, or maybe they wanted a certain free agent and they missed out. Or they want to trade for Chris Kreider, but they can only afford to have him on the books for $3.9 million. You have to retain a little bit. Yeah, and that's possible too. That's actually quite possible. That's actually probably more likely. And that's something so, you only know after your arbitration cases are settled. Correct. So, um, and I don't know. I, I, I think Gorton has done the right thing. I think, I think him being patient and seeing the way the market plays out has benefited him. I, I don't like being first to things because I think you want to let things settle and see who needs what. Um, and because of the Rangers situation, because they had so much, you know, they have so much cap flexibility moving forward. I mean, obviously not in the, in the immediate interim, they don't, but long-term plan, they have a lot of cap flexibility. So because of that, I think playing the, the, playing it safe and letting things play out is fine because if he needs to move Nemesnikov for pennies on the dollars, he can, if he needs to move Kreider, honestly, in just a salary dump. And, and that was like his, his only move. Guess what? He's going to get a return from even if he says, you know what? I'll get a shit return. I just need to get rid of this money. He can do it. Yeah. So I actually like the way, the way Gorton has done this. I'm actually happy he did it this way and not tried to be impatient and move Kreider for pennies on the dollar at the, you know, or, you know, at the, um, at the draft or, or so forth and so on. So I'm actually happy that, that the way the Rangers went about this, the only thing that would upset me to be honest with you is if the Rangers decide let's hold on to these players and then move them at the trade deadline and get way less than they will. Now that would make me a little like, eh, I'd rather you move them now because I think you're going to get, I think you'll always get more for Kreider and Nemesnikov and Strom and all those guys. You'll get more for them this summer than you will in February. That's just, what I think and more, and the, team, more teams are going to think they're in it now than they will in February. And there's also the risk of injuries. If you hang on, hang on to them. Oh, totally. Yeah. That's another good point. I didn't think about You're right. Yeah. That actually is another factor too is because what if Kreider, what if we stop playing the season and Kreider blows his knee out and he's done for the season? I mean, that's possible. And now yeah. you're like, Oh, okay. Now I got nothing for him. He's just going to walk. And that's that. Yep. So, Lots of risk. The longer you hold on to a player, if you're definitely gonna, if you if you're intent on moving him, the longer you hold on to him, the worse it is for you because there's more inherent risk. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I don't think Gordon waited too long. I think it's just the way the market works. Yeah, I agree. So the next question is from Jape, and he says, uh, "The goalie situation. What happens if Hank still struggles? Georgiev is solid, and Shostorkin um, amazes in Hartford from the get-go." Could you see the Rangers letting go of Hank, perhaps next summer? If this happens, Georgiev only has one year left from his contract. Okay, so let me just jump in here on this. So the first part, what happens if Hank still struggles? Um, even the most, even the biggest Hank fan, I'm the, one of the biggest Hank fans there are out there. Um, even if 
he struggles. I mean, or I should say, let me rewind that, actually. We know his best days are behind him. That is, that is, that is a fact, okay? There is no one that's going to argue that. No one's going to argue that. Um, if he still struggles, I, I mean, I don't think that the Rangers are going to – I don't think they're just going to say, oh, well, you know, you're struggling and you need to, you need to go. I think the Rangers are committed to him for, you know, 2019 and 2020. I think that's what it is. I think he's on the he's, he's going to be on the team. I think there is nothing that Hank is the the only thing is like it, unless a, a you know an injury happens to him, he's going to be on this team. They're not going to just let go of Hank and say, "You know what? We're going to buy you out." It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um I don't I don't I don't think Lundqvist is going to get bought out. I don't think he's going to retire before his deal is over. I don't think he's going to waive his no-move clause, so he will be with the Rangers for two more years. Yeah. And what the Rangers do with Shesturkin and Georgiev will be very interesting. Um, with Lundqvist, an unrestricted free agent in 2021, which is the same summer as the expansion draft for Seattle, it gives the Rangers the option to protect Georgiev. Uh, Shesturkin is exempt, so they don't have to protect him. Um, and it gives the Rangers an option to have both the Russian goalies on their team at age 25 when the 2021-2022 season starts. Um, I don't see Lundqvist being on the team after that. I don't see him signing a new contract because it just doesn't make any sense. Um, that's where I'm actually going to... Um, I actually have a counter to that. So I actually think, and this, and a lot of this depends on where the team is in 2021. Okay. Um, what I mean by that is let's say they take a significant step forward this year and they're a borderline playoff team. They're fighting until basically the last few weeks of the year. They either make the playoffs or don't, or, but they're head, they're trending in that right direction. You know, the, the kids are playing well, there's some, they're, they're gelling. Everything's kind of pushing forward 2021. They actually make the playoffs. Maybe they make a little bit of noise, something like that. Or maybe they went around or they're competitive. I could see Hank after that 2021 season saying, let me play year to year, you know, on a league minimum and be the backup. I could see that. I don't think that's impossible for him because I think once his, I think once his contract is done and, and, and we've seen this, that Hank doesn't want to go, Hank doesn't want to go anywhere. Once he's done playing hockey he will hang it up and that's that i don't you know you're not going to see him go play for the anaheim ducks for a year and then go to the st louis blues for a year that he's not going to go that route he's just gonna basically going to play